Lord. How many of you guys got your Bibles this morning? You got your Bibles? This is what I used to do when I was a youth pastor. I would say, hey, if you got your Bibles this morning, pull them out, let me see them. And so I'm gonna do that this morning. Yeah, let's see them. I love them, I love them. We got some smartphones. It's great, great. Um, I was at men's retreat this last weekend, so I have a little bit more energy. I also had eight shots of espresso uh, to recover from men's retreat. So I've got some energy this morning. Uh, and and we, we made the joke at men's retreat that men's retreat is glorified youth retreat for a bunch of old guys. Uh, and man, it was. So if I, if I have some, some youth pastor quips this morning, uh, just know why it is. And the first one, you can check this off the list of youth pastor quips as people raise their Bibles we have the swords of the spirit, and as people raise their smartphones, we've got the lightsabers of the spirit, amen? Any Star Wars fans? All right, I love it. Enough of that. You guys aren't supposed to laugh when I say those jokes. We're continuing our series, Giants Eat Peas and Carrots, as we study Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, these four different letters that Paul is writing to four distinct churches that he loves. The church in Galatia, a a church that Paul was intricate in, the church in Ephesus, a a, a town that Paul loved and absolutely uh, adored. He, He spent three years in Ephesus establishing this great church before he left. Uh, the, the church that we're studying now here in Philippi, Paul loved the Philippian church. He views them as his joy, as his crown, like he loved the Philippian church. He loved Epaphrodites, the one that the Philippian church sent to him while he was in prison in Rome, really awaiting his execution. And that is why Paul is even writing this letter. And as we'll start next week, the church in Colossae, a church that Paul had actually never been to. Uh, but, but that Paul uh, cared for, and that church knew Paul had some good encouragement and words to say, so they wrote Paul a letter. But as we come to our study through Philippians, uh, we're, we're, we're going to bring in, be bringing it to an end this morning. As we study Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, and we look at Paul's closing remarks to the church here in Philippi. If you would remember the theme of this book is joy. And it's interesting that that, that Paul is writing a letter from a Roman prison in the capital of the Roman Empire awaiting capital punishments. That he writes a book about joy. Paul Paul being a Roman citizen, he was able to dodge uh, death so many times as the Jews tried to kill him throughout his missionary journeys. Paul had been stoned to the point of they thought he was dead and they left him outside the walls of the city as if he was dead. But the Lord saw fit to see Paul continue in his missionary journey. So when Paul writes this letter to the Philippi, he can say things like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul Paul knew that his purpose, his mission, the reason he was alive was to bring the gospel everywhere he went with him. So he had great joy. He had great joy to write this letter and say, Philippi, you're doing the work. Continue in it. And, and, and he could say to all assurance with Epaphrodites, when Epaphrodites showed up from Philippi saying, Paul, we're here to give you some money, to give you some food, to minister to you in your need. And Paul says, yes, I may be in need, but I am full. I may look hungry, but I am completely nourished. For I know that I have the joy of seeing my Father in heaven very, very soon. And because of that, 
I will live out every moment of this life with 100% sold out abandonment for the Lord. And so that is what Paul did. And so as we have this letter, just by way of reminder, the, 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 the first chapter, Paul is, is thanking the Lord for his Philippian brothers and sisters. If you remember the outline we gave this book a few months ago, uh, there, there is this beautiful poem found uh, in, in Philippians chapter 2, a, a Jewish-style poem, a, a re-quoting of some verses from Isaiah. But the verses in Isaiah focus everything back to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And what Paul does is, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses the same poetry and points it to Jesus, so showing that Jesus is Yahweh, the God of Israel, that Jesus is a part of the Godhead, a part of this triune God of Israel. And Paul says, all praise, all honor, all glory, both on earth, under the earth, above the earth, is given to Jesus. And so he, he reminds the Philippians of all the great things they had done for the Lord and the great things they were continuing to do for the Lord. He talks about in his own suffering and in his own pain and trials, he rejoices because at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. He talks about what it means to truly be humble. And then he looks at Timothy, his son in the Lord. Timothy, this great missionary who is Paul's number two. And he says, Timothy's doing it right because Timothy knows at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And he spends some time talking about Epaphrodites. And he says, Epaphrodites, he's doing it well. Epaphrodites almost died on his way to me because he was sick. But he knew that there was a job set before him and he would persevere through and through because he knew it was all about Jesus. Paul goes on to talk about what it means to press on towards the goal. Our goal as believers is, one, to see the Great Commission come to fruition, see people give their hearts and lives to Jesus. But also our goal as believers is also our hope. And we have a hope that if our faith is in Jesus Christ, then we have an eternity spent with God the Father. That there is more beyond this life. There is more beyond the trial and the tribulation that we may go through. There is more beyond the mess at work, the wreck at home, and just the craziness we have in the world around us. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And that hope is eternity with him. But Paul does not say, because you have that hope, hunker down, sit down, and wait for it. Try and ease out, wait out the storm. No, he says jump into the storm wholeheartedly because you're not living for heaven, you're living from heaven. For we are not citizens of this nation, but we are citizens of a nation that lasts forever. And so Paul tries to reposition the mindset of both the Philippian church, the Christians of the first century, and of you and I. And he says, don't live for heaven, but knowing that your citizenship is already in heaven, live as emissaries, live as ambassadors from heaven in your everyday life. Knowing that everything points back and is about Jesus. Last week as we jumped into chapter 4, we looked at the first nine verses. And we looked about what it means to be holistically healthy. As followers of Christ, what it means to be healthy in our hearts, what it means to be healthy in our head, and what it means to be healthy in the house of God so that we as individual believers 
individual believers with personal relationships in Jesus Christ, we are collectively living stones, as Peter would tell us, building up the tabernacle, building up the temple of the living God. And so we together have a communal relationship with God and what the importance of that is and why it's important to be healthy. And now Paul is going to bring all of these things back together and these closing remarks in these last couple verses, and he's going to give us some points and some things that we can take and some things that we can draw on so that we can take them and apply them in our everyday life. Knowing that joy and suffering, humility when there's trials, knowing that uh, uh, anything the world throws our way, we can have joy in the Lord. And when we have joy, we can operate healthy as individuals and we can operate effectively as the church. So all of that by intro to jump into Philippians chapter 4, picking up in verse 10. Follow along with me, if you will. Uh, It'll be up on the screens. This is what it says. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Goes on to say in verse 16 that even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credits. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts which you have sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He goes on to say this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you uh, uh, or who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those who are in Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, we just thank you so much. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you that your word cuts through the bone and the marrow to the soul and to the spirit and reveals to us the motives and the intents of our hearts. God, we thank you that your word tells us that we can grow in our faith knowing that faith comes from hearing the word of God. God, we pray that as we've spent time in worship and in seeking your face and praise, God, as we've spent time at your table remembering your sacrifice for us, God, that now as we approach your scripture, we believe yet again, God, that you will speak to us through your word. God, I pray that for each of us who are here today listening and hearing, 
Uh, God, for myself as I teach and for those who will be watching online in the future. Lord, that these words from Paul, God, that there might be one little nugget of truth, one little thing that sticks out to us, God, that you by your Holy Spirit revealed to us and that we can put it into action in our life. Lord, that there would be transformation that would have effect in the world around us. So God, we thank you for that. God, I pray that this morning your word would speak through, Lord, that that I would just be uh, a vessel that is used. Uh, Lord, that these would not be my words, but God, you would reveal truth through your word. So God, we thank you. We praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's saints said, amen, amen, amen. Today, guys, we're going to look at five things, five practical applications from Paul's closing remarks. Paul Paul has some great things to commend us for. Uh, And the first thing that we see comes from verse 10. Verse 10 says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now, at last, your care for me has begun to flourish again. The first thing that I think Paul has as a practical application for you and I as believers is that we are to care for one another. I love that Paul uses the phrase flourish. How many of you guys are like me and, and as uh, the busyness of the week uh, and, and, and all the tasks that we may or may not have at work and, and at home, um, there are some things that we can allow uh, to fall by the wayside, aka in my, uh, in my situation, uh, doing the weeding in the backyard. Um, anyone surprised by how rapidly the weeds grew this year? Um, we planted wildflowers three years ago and then continued to plant wildflowers for the following two years. Uh, I was doing it knowing full well that the previous year's wildflowers were dropping seeds. Um, and so it was like a double portion the second year and a triple portion the year after that. Like I have so many wildflowers in my backyard. Uh, but they grew with the weeds and they grew so rapidly this year because of all of our rain, sun, rain, sun, snow and April, all of that crazy stuff. Uh, but things grew fast and one could say they were flourishing. Paul says care for one another. And it's easy for us to say, oh, well, that's great. Yeah, I care for my brothers and sisters. Like, there's a general love that we have one for another. But Paul says that the care was flourishing. It was abounding. It was, in the way my mind pictures this, it was overgrown care one for another. And I think that's the kind of care that Paul wants you and I to have for one another. He commends the Philippians for it. And if Paul said, hey, this is a good thing for them, do you think it's a good thing for you and I? We are to care for one another's needs. We look at the example of the early church in the book of Acts. When someone had a problem, when someone had a need, the church came together to care for one another. We see such great Bible passages as brothers were born for times of adversity. The first time I heard that used was when my brother and I were in an argument. uh, And we were both very young uh, and I'm pretty sure my dad, Pastor Dave, told us that brothers were born for times of adversity so that we would stop arguing one with another, that we would realize we are to rally when things get rough. But in my eight-year-old mind, when he said brothers were born for times of adversity, I thought, oh, adversity is what I was born to have with my brother. 
And uh, for years, that's the way that verse just like locked in for me. It wasn't until I actually started reading it in context. I was like, oh, no, no, no. It means we're supposed to come together when things get rough so that we can tackle hard issues. But how many of you know that we face hard issues? We face trials and tribulations. We face tough times. I was getting ready to leave for men's retreat, and I realized I ran over a three-inch-long bolt, and my tire was flat. Sometimes we just face terrible situations. And that is where we, as brothers and sisters of Christ, we can rally together, rally to one another, and we can care for each other with a radical, flourishing love. That's what Paul would say. I think that's what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and I. Let's jump now to the next thing that we can learn. Not only are we to care for one another, but in verse 11, Paul, Paul gives us this encouragement to learn contentment. Paul had learned contentment in his situations. He'd been through the ups and the downs, and we too can go through ups and downs in our culture and our society. It will, it will tell us and will encourage us, you always got to be striving for the next best thing. You always got to be doing this. You got to keep up with the Joneses. You got to get a new car every couple years. You got to, I mean, flat screen TVs. For crying out loud. We, we bought a couple here at the church, and a couple of them we, brought, we bought before COVID. And we pulled them out of their boxes as we were doing the remodels during quarantine and getting things up. And those TVs are officially obsolete now. It's like, that was just two years ago. But man, TVs, they're telling us we got to change them every three months or something like that. And it's just like, what on earth? we got to learn to be content. Any of y'all still got the old JVC 18-inch with the VCR attached to the bottom? Yeah, I'm, I'm old enough to know what that is. I mean, let's go. We can learn contentment. And, and, and that's a healthy thing for you and I as followers of Christ to learn because our world is going to tell us we need to keep getting the new. We need to keep getting the new. We need to go on and on. But as followers of Christ, we know that in Christ we have our contentment. We will not find contentment in the things of this world. But I think the encouragement for us in our contentment, we never become complacent. Often contentment and complacency kind of run very close to one another. And we can jump over to complacency from contentment, and that's where it gets dangerous. And so the encouragement this morning is to learn true contentment in Christ. Paul knew that no matter what happened, no matter what came his way, he was secure in Christ and that Christ had his back. You and I too, seeing Paul's encouragement to the Philippians, we also should learn contentment. Kind of ties into the third one we have this morning. Coming from verse 12, knowing what it means to be full, but also to be hungry. Paul says this, I love this, it's, it, 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 it's such a good picture. I know how to be abased, and I know how to be a, one who is abounding. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Hometown buffet, Right? There is always food at Hometown Buffet. And I swear, every time I walk into Hometown Buffet, I haven't been in like six or seven years, but every time I walk in, I'm like, man, I am hungry. 
And then I go through seven or eight times. No, no, no. Um, I go through a couple times. I'm like, man, I am full. I know what it feels like to be hungry going in, and I know what it feels like to be full going out. But what Paul is saying is, at every stage, be full and be hungry. Simultaneous. Be full of what God has done for you. Be full of joy. Be full of love, of mercy, of peace. Be full of the fruits of the Spirit. Be full of those things, but be hungry for more. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. We should be filling our heart with the word of God and truly be full. But we should always be hungry for more. Be full of the Spirit. Know the presence of God. But man, we should be hungering for more and more of Him in our life. Knowing what it means to be both full and hungry. In the brief encouragement this morning, because time isn't going to afford for it all this morning, uh, the encouragement is this. Fill yourself up on the things of the Lord. And when you get full to the brim, Remember, Jesus talks about being full, pressed down, shaken, and running over. Let it, the water continue to pour in and overflow. Be both full and hungry for more. The fourth thing kind of changes the direction. Coming from verse 14, Paul says that you shared in my distress. We're to have empathy for one another. We're to have sympathy for one another. When we're going through hard times, yes, brothers are born for times of adversity. Yes, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We come together and we rally one another and we pull one another out of the hard times. But also, it's okay, and I think it's encouraged scripturally, to sit down and to mourn with those who are mourning. To experience and, 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 and empathize with the suffering folks are going through. Sometimes we mean well when we say, hey, you know, Romans chapter 8, 28, God will work all things out to the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Like, it's going to be okay. But sometimes that's not what we want to hear in the moment. We just want someone to sit down with us, to cry with us. Maybe we don't need them to cry. They just need a shoulder to cry on. And that times of adversity, yes, we reach and we pull up, but also like Jesus, the woman who was caught in adultery, she was dragged before him. Stones were being ready to throw at her, completely humiliated at the feet of Jesus. And one of the Pharisees gets the bright idea, hey, Jesus, the law and the prophet says we should stone her. What do you say that we should do? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, well, yeah, she was sinning, but it's all good. Let's help her up. No, 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 he gets down in the dirt with her. I mean, the Gospels tells us he starts drawing little pictures in the dirt. It's kind of cool. He starts ignoring them. And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And then, when there's none left, Jesus looks up. And he says, where are your accusers? She says, there aren't any, Lord. He says, go and sin no more. He got down in the rough. Yeah, he helped her up at the end, but he spent some time going through the suffering with her. Paul says, you shared in my distress. I think it's healthy for you and I to speak those words of encouragement, but to minister in those times of need. Get down, go through, 
and be there for one another. The fifth thing that, that Paul has for us in these closing remarks comes from verse 17. Seek the fruit that abounds. I think it is important for you and I as followers of Christ to seek the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. Jesus says to the disciples, they will know you by your fruits. Jesus talks often about how there is a vine and there is a vine dresser and how the vine dresser will come and he will lift up those leaves that are covered in dust so that they could bear more fruit. He will prune so that there can be more fruits. There's the analogy of agriculture and fruits. And you and I, we are known by our fruits, so we should seek the fruits of the Spirit. If we are known by our fruit, we probably shouldn't seek to be known by things outside of the Spirit. Like how many of you guys want to be known by the fruit of jealousy or the fruit of greed? I mean, like, these aren't good things. I was going to bad talk some normal fruits, but I've learned to like grapefruit now. Um, but you know bad fruit when you've had it, right? The very first time I had grapefruit I was at the beach, Lincoln City, 1999. Eight-year-old Matt Morris. My mom, she's not here, she, she's at the Gladstone campus. Okay, yeah, my mom, she says, hey, Matt, do you want an orange? Mom, I love oranges, orange slices, yeah. She cuts me a slice of orange. And she says, it's really good with sugar on it, too. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, Mom. She puts a little sugar on it, and I take a bite. This was no orange, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this was a ruby red grapefruit. And when you're eight years old, there is no amount of sugar that can cover the spice and the pain and the nastiness of a grapefruit. And I remember running through that house screaming, got to the bathroom, stuck my mouth under the faucet, my dad sitting on the couch, says, oh, what's wrong? And I said, mom tried to get me an orange, and my dad just laughed. He was, he was a culprit as well. <laughs> but like the world knows, when we who profess to be followers of Christ, when we are living with nasty fruits, and it can leave a bad taste in people's mouth, when we say we are followers of Christ, but the fruit that we produce is just as disgusting and ugly as the fruit of the world. We are to be people who seek after the fruits of the Spirit. Depending on how one translates the Greek, when it comes to the fruits of the Spirit, the, the, the Greek language doesn't have commas. We insert those because the English language does. Now the Greek language depending on how a phrase is used, you can know where a comma would be. But there's a debate when it comes to the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, you know. Uh, but, but some would say that there only should be a distinction. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and then love is defined by the rest of them. No matter how we view it, the reality is we need to have all of those fruits flourishing, like the weeds in my backyard, uh, in our lives. We could use more self-control. We could use more patience. I think that patience ties in directly with contentment. We could use more gentleness. 
I said last week how the Greek word for sword can be used as this large slashing gladius, but it can also be used for a medical scalpel. And so often we can use God's word as a weapon to tear people down when really we need to have gentleness and use God's word to surgically remove tiny little things. We could have more goodness. Especially in today's days and day and age, the world's looking for something good. And we have the best good. Love, peace, all these things. I'm gonna invite Mariah and Reuben to make their way back up as, as we're going to uh, close in a time uh, of, of worship. Um, but as we look at these five things to reflect on from Paul's closing remark, he, he, he goes on to talk about how the Philippians supported him when no one else would. I mean, other churches like Thessalonica, a church that he loved, he spent three weeks there, the church flourished. But it was the Philippians that helped him when it was a time of need. Paul goes on to say that their grace abounds. I, I know me personally. I want to be known. When, when I die, when I go to heaven, I want folks who remain here that they would be able to say of me that I cared for others. That I was content. I was full, but boy, was I still hungry. I knew what it means to empathize with folks, to sympathize with folks. And I bore the fruit of the Spirit with me everywhere I went. And I know I want that for myself, and I want that to be what our church is known for. And so those two wants mean that I want it for each of us. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what God wants. And he writes these things through Paul, through the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul. He writes these things for you and I. God wants us to love one another just as he loves. He wants us to find our hope and our rest in him. He wants us to bear fruit that will point people to him. This morning, would you stand with me? We're gonna pray a prayer of benediction and a prayer of, of Lord, we want these things to operate in our lives. Help us die to ourself and live new in you in all of these areas. Then we'll spend some time in worship. God, we thank you. God, that you have formed and fashioned us. God, you have a plan and a purpose for us as the church. God, we pray that this morning you would well up inside each and every single one of us a deeper care one for another. Lord, that we would learn true contentment. God, that we would know what it means to rest in you. For you are our Sabbath day's rest. Lord, that you would fill us Fill us anew with your spirit. Fill us anew with a passion for your word. Fill us anew with a passion for prayer, for worship. God, may we be so full that we are overflowing. God, that it would be like that uncomfortable kind of full, like, oh, did I have too much? But God, that you would keep us hungry for more. God, that we would know what it means to have sympathy, that we would know what it means to have empathy that we would meet people where they're at. 
And God, we pray that you would prune the branches of our life that are not bearing fruit so that they may bear more fruits. God, we pray for the leaves that have dropped into the dust. God, that you would pick them up, brush them off so that they can photosynthesize again and bear more fruits. God, we want to see the fruit of your spirit flourishing in your church. So God, we thank you for Paul's words to the church of Philippi. God, we thank you for your words for the church here at Hillside. God, we pray these things, we believe these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.